Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Josh Hartwick is the CEO and founder of Feathers and Sheds Unlimited. I connected with Josh in us completing our first piece of content in a series called Connecting the Dots, in which we wanted to figure out where specifically Nilgai meat. Nilgai is an antelope native to India and Pakistan that now resides in South Texas. There's a good population of them, about 25 to 50,000. And so we connected with Josh because Josh was the restoration biologist, wildlife ranch manager for the ranch upon which we did the piece. And so I wanted to hear from Josh about the the reality of things on the ground, the impact of Nilgai on the South Texas landscape, their interaction with cattle, all of the good things associated with Nilgai hunting and their impact into the towns of South Texas. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple, is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. South Texas. What is it? 7.15 in the morning? 7.30 in the morning? 7.32. I don't have a coffee. I've already made a coffee. I made a really made a dog and gun coffee. Did you see those little sachets? I did not. The little perforated things that go over the 
the cup. No. You need to have them for your guard service. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. Because you don't have to make coffee. They're essentially little um, sachets of pour-over coffee. Wow. And you strip the top off, and then you just pour boiling water on it, and it fits any Yeti cup or any, like... Yeah, it's a, just an amazing little deal, Inst- man. Instant coffee. Instant coffee. No, it's better than instant coffee. S- spoken from a true individual who does not drink coffee. Why don't you drink coffee? You know, it's it's one of those... See this coyote trotting down the road right here? Oh, jeez. South Texas. Already, man. We haven't <laughs> been driving but two minutes. Uh... Yeah, I know it's one of one of those uh, deals. I've I've always been quite a bit of a morning person, so I've never felt like I've needed coffee to get me up and get me going. I mean, I hunt for a living, man. What what other morning adrenaline rush do you need? <laughs> Ca- caffeine <laughs> caffeine is not going to replace that. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, we always kind of chuckle. You know, I joke with my clients when they when they wake up, and of course, at all the different lodges, you know, for the outfitting service, we outfit all over the world really and so we have lodges all over and of course you know every lodge has you know coffee makers of all different shapes and sizes and i pick on my clients because a lot of them complain oh i can't i can't go out hunting until i get my coffee you know it's like that what do you uh, need to get up and go man yeah i mean we're, we're we're in a hurry to get into the get into the field get into the bush get into you know the duck blind wherever we're going hunting for whatever we're after so i've never wanted to feel restricted tied or addicted to one particular thing to get me up and get me going in the morning so yeah, yeah. just never never been much of a coffee drinker so where are we right now we you don't have to tell us exactly the ranch but we're in south texas yeah sure so we're we're in we're in south texas this is uh this is kennedy county south texas uh we're we're just south. famous county for big yeah. whitetails yeah, so I mean we're we're down here very near the infamous King Ranch which is, which is a massive cattle and and hunting wildlife ranch. So I mean almost everybody's heard of like the King Ranch pickup yeah, trucks. Absolutely. That's a real popular. Absolutely. Uh but yeah, so we're we're down here in in that area of of Texas just south of Kingsville, Texas. And we're riding around on a privately owned uh, massive cattle and wildlife ranch. The, the entire ranch is around 430,000 acres, and we're riding around on a division of that that is 23,000 acres. Completely low fence. Completely low fence, completely wild, free-ranging animals. Um, all of our species on this ranch are native to Texas, so they're, they're native game and non-game species all except for one unique critter that occurs here in coastal South Texas, and that is the Nilgai antelope. That's an exotic antelope species from India. Mm-hmm. When was it brought here? So the Nilgai antelope was introduced by that King Ranch that we were just talking about uh, in the in the mid 1920s. Um, they brought that species in from India, and the story goes that the King Ranch had this vision to use Nilgai as a potential beef replacement or beef supplement. You really? know, they, they wanted to domesticate these critters and try to try to raise them for meat production. Interesting. Uh, the Nilgai has an extremely high quality, you know, savory meat, you know, and it's uh it's revered by a lot of your outdoorsmen to be one of the finest, you know, I guess meats when it comes to table fare, you know, no wild game taste right. or anything like that. So, right. 
Uh, yeah, so the, the ranch made that attempt to domesticate these antelope. It was a failed attempt. They were way too wild. Uh, again, remind you, we're talking mid 1920s. Do you know how many got put in here to start with? You know, there you hear a lot of a lot of rumors. I don't think there's any like you know set you know written down in the history books. But the the story that everyone tells is supposedly it started from a herd of about twelve animals. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, now yeah. we have an estimated fifty thousand. Is it, just in Texas alone? They. They've moved north and south from from this area. They moved, haven't moved very far that's, north. Right? That's exactly must be right. Like a cutoff line. Is it almost like a freeze line that they just are like, not nah, we're not going any further, or is it a habitat line? Or yeah, so they're thinking it's mostly habitat. So moving moving north along the Texas coast from where we're at right now, you run into an inland bay system, so a, wa- a saltwater system there that is called Baffin Bay. Okay, and it basically cuts them off from moving further north. Um, of course, they could move west and, and, and circumvent the bay, but they haven't done that yet. Couldn't they, they wa- move their way like up sort of northwest up the Texas-Mexico line? Yeah, so, so they, have, they have went down south into Mexico. Uh, they've crossed the, the Rio Grande, and, they, and they've moved into Mexico. But as far as going north and northwest, there's, um, there's a, you know, a lot of not large city by, cities by any means. South Texas, you know, right in this rural area doesn't have a lot of large cities. But there's enough development, I think, in habitat fragmentation that has kind of made somewhat of an ecological barrier for them. Gotcha, gotcha. So low fenced operation, no high fence. Why don't you need a high? For those that don't know, why wouldn't you need a high fence for an exotic animal like Nilgai? Yeah. So you know, high fences are usually reserved for for landowners, property owners that are bringing in exotics, bringing in exotic species to the property, and they're wanting to contain their investment. You know, they're they're having to go out and spend quite a bit of money to acquire mm-hmm. all of these various species, and and many of them can be quite costly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, they're wanting to contain that. Um, that's not the case with the Neil guy. You know, the the landowners down here are not trying to contain the Neil guy. The Neil guy were basically released in the 1920s and they've been allowed to breed and proliferate and roam free and so they almost are you know seemingly it's been it's been a hundred years now right they're seemingly naturally occurring so they're and one they're, of the things you said yesterday was that unlike an axis unlike a black buck the nil guy almost has a nuisance connotation to it that's exactly right. Because of its destruction, and this is cattle country, first big, and foremost, before it was whitetail or nilgai country. That's it. Yeah, big cattle country, big cattle ranching, and a lot of low cattle fencing. Um, down here, barbed wire is not the popular fence type. Uh, yeah, I noticed that. There's no barbed wire. That's correct. The, the, the common practice for fencing on the cattle ranches in this area of South Texas is net wire. Uh, they use... Um, you know, low fence net wiring. And so these Nilgai antelope, they don't jump fences. It's it's a unique characteristic of the species. They even even those low fences, they they do not jump over them. When they want to come to a fence crossing and go through the fence, they go under the fence. And and we're talking for five hundred pound animals. Yes, six hundred pound animal. That's right. For those that aren't familiar with Nilgai, these are massive antelope. And so Do you think they could jump it? Oh yeah, I've seen them do it. Yeah, really, I have. But they're they're the most. <laughs> I had the I had the almost this idea that they couldn't jump the fence. Yeah, no, they certainly can. But they are the most disgraceful <laughs> anti aerial acrobatic 
critter that, like you, that drunk friend of yours saying, watch this, I'm going to jump over the fence and <laughs> clip his feet on the top rung. And it's it's terrible. When when a nil guy tries to jump a, jump a fence, they, they make a mess of the of the whole the whole athletic, you know, display. It's uh, it it's pretty rough. But it's just a you know, it's a big big animal, you know, a big stocky animal trying to trying to get over the fence and they're just they're just not jumpers. They go under the fence, but they tear the fence all to heck oh, when, when they try to go under because they bend the bottom of the wire up significantly and, and damage it. And, and so cattle ranchers are constantly fighting these nil guy fence crossing where they do the damage. They're fighting the issue of once so-and-so many nil guy go through that same crossing, the fence is damaged and bent up so high. Now that it's a concern for their cattle being able to yeah, get out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Well, I do this all the time, and we've probably been going five, eight minutes already in this podcast, and nobody knows who this amazing South Texan voice is that's on the other, li- other side of the headset uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, my man? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Captain Josh Hartwick. I'm the uh, CEO and owner of Feathers and Sheds Unlimited. We're an international hunting and fishing outfitting company. Uh, we outfit hunts all across the state of Texas on many privately owned r- uh, ranches for just about every available species that mm-hmm. there is in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a considerable amount of waterfowl hunting uh inshore and offshore saltwater fishing which you know charter charter guided trips are the fishing and then internationally we have big game hunting operations in australia south africa namibia and tanzania amazing and you are 51 years old right because you're (laughs) doing all this all this stuff right right yeah no i'm the i'm the ripe old age of 32 nice nice um and Arguably, is it how how many other people? I'm, I'm sure there's lots of other places that you can you can nil guy hunt, but arguably hunting the biggest acreage, contiguous acreage available for nil guy. Yeah, that's right. So you know you've got you've got nil guy in their in their original area. You know India and Pakistan. To, to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe that it's legal to hunt them in India. Nope. Absolutely um, not. I have seen there's a few outfits in in you know areas of Pakistan that yep. will will sell a nil guy hunt, but for the most part, when people around the world are interested in hunting you know free range nil guy antelope, they're usually headed to Texas um, and completely free range. That, that's right, completely yep. free range. There are high fence ranches uh, in Texas that that have nil guy on them, um, and, and so that that's an opportunity for people that you know per, you know want to pursue that route. But if you are wanting to go and do you pursue, look, do you look down your nose on people that want to pursue a nil guy behind a high fence? Absolutely not. No, no, no way at all. I mean, a nil guy is a challenging species, regardless of if it is on a high fenced game ranch or if it is on a low fence property. The animal is still plenty challenging to hunt, plenty exciting to hunt, and of course, as many of us would agree as as hunters and sportsmen the meat i mean you get the same mm-hmm. meat it's the same animal same species and and that's the that's the real value for us i've heard it's almost like the the best tasting venison you can get i i personally feel that way for sure and as you can imagine i've eaten different game animals from all around the world better than a zebra oh i i think so uh, for for me personally and now of course, people are like shit robert you just said zebra Really? <laughs> what people don't know is that zebras are absolutely ridiculously delicious. Oh, they are. Absolutely. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you if you don't know about the quality of a zebra, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you can call it zebra because you are in Texas. But yeah, but no, if you've never had one, you definitely need to find find a, a place to let you sample the meat or find you a great outfitter and get out there and hunt hunt yourself one. Yeah. To give everyone a bit of context, you're, you're hearing in the background sort of vehicle noise, if you can hear it. We're just cruising around this 27,000, 23,000 acre property right now. Uh, we do have weapons with us. Uh, in case something does show up, and if, we, if something does show up, we'll just hit the pause button and uh, and execute a little hunt. Um, but you've hunted all over the world, pretty much. Y- yeah, uh, I, I I wouldn't say. Have you hunted Australia yet? I have. Yeah, so I wouldn't say all over the world, but obviously, definitely the places that we have big Africa, game operations. Australia. That's right. Have you been down south into Argentina? I haven't done that yet, so that that's high on the list to try to get down and sample that culture, that experience. Um, you know, like I said, I'm I'm only 32. Uh, it's taken quite a bit of you know effort, dedication, you know, nose to the grindstone to mm-hmm. to get to where we're at as a company. So, um, you know. Basically, Australia, the several countries in Africa, and all over Texas is all that I've had time right, to, of course. to, to you know, I guess experience yeah. thus far. But no, there's still plenty of other places that I care to hunt personally, and then plenty of places that I would like to expand the outfit to. Sure, of course, of course. So the reason we're here is that uh, Blood Origins has this idea of we create obviously content for non-hunters. We don't particularly, actually, I'll, I'll take that back. We're focusing everything towards a non-hunter. We hope that a non-hunter will engage in that content. We've never really been like forthcoming in saying, hey, non-hunter, what do you like? From what would you like to see? You know, it's just almost we've had, we we live in our echo chamber of hunting. We live in our echo chamber of what a hunter likes to see. And then we're like, okay, this is we'll just morph it a little bit and say this is what non hunter wants to see. And we've almost like flipped the script a little bit and we've talked to a bunch of non hunters and said, What would what would you like to see? And then the unanimous response back was we don't care about the hunt. We don't care about the kill. But we want to see what comes afterwards. Food. Big one, right? Easy show where the meat goes, show someone cooking it beautifully. Hey, we can get into that. Conservation. Tell us about the conservation elements of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then tell us about the people, like the people that are tied in with um, everybody uh, outside of the, the hunting community, essentially. So, yeah, what we're trying to do is we're at the end of... At the end of of that non-hunting conversation, the guys were like, how about you just focus on the things that happen after the hunt, essentially, the things that are connected to that thing that's after the hunt. And we've start, obviously we do a lot of that kind of work, but we haven't done a tremendous amount of it. And uh, so we're here to put an intense focus on it. And you are one of the individuals that uh, is tied in with this thing called connections, connecting the dots. Fantastic. Yeah. No, you I essentially are the first dot because you're wrapped up in the hunt, essentially, your outfitting business. Sure. Feathers and Sheds Unlimited. Um, you live on this property. 
you're the ranch manager of this property and you make a livelihood because of the opportunity to Nilgai hunt. Right. I think I asked you this question yesterday. What would you be doing? What would Captain Josh Hartwick be doing if if you couldn't hunt? Yeah, that was a that was an extremely challenging question from yesterday. Um and I know it's super hypothetical, but it's something to really consider when you start thinking about all these people wanting to ban hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would uh you know, just for me personally, that that would just be a devastating blow. I mean, my my entire business, my livelihood, my family, what we we are all, you know, wrapped up in this industry of hunting. Um you know, it, it just, it's who we are, it's what we do, it's how we make a living, it's what we do for recreation, it's what we do for fan, family bonding experience, it's what we do with our friends and loved ones. I mean, it's just, it's so much more than just an occupation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so many people get up and they get dressed in, in, in this country and, and around the world and they, they head off to a career of some sort and you know while while you know many people love their job and they're very involved in what they're doing at work they still come home and step away from their job you know they leave the workplace and they come home to their family they have hobbies they have things that they like to go and do on the weekends vacations that they like to take with their spouse or an activity that they want to do with their children but it's totally separate, generally, from what they're doing at work, you know, on their, you know, Monday through Friday day job. You know, hunting. a bunch of turkeys up ahead? Sorry, folks. Yes, it is. Do you know what they call a group of turkeys? A gaggle? It's a rafter. A rafter. A rafter of turkeys. I like rafter a lot more than rafter. <laughs> 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 that that's what they call a group of South African turkeys. Oh, that's true. That's true. I may be in that category of South guinea African fowl. Turkey. Guinea fowl. That's right. A rafter of guinea fowl. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. You like how do you? Because it, it's almost a lifestyle. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it's every, not every, almost a lifestyle. It is. It a lifestyle. is a lifestyle. Everything we do is is involved in in hunting and and it's not again just like just like talking to your you know your your non-hunters it's not just a kill it's there's so much more and that's why i'm so excited to be a part of of this evolution of blood origins you know really painting the picture and helping to educate the general populace on what this thing is hunting you know it's so much more than killing animals Mm -hmm. So let me ask this, and it's a tough, que- another tough question, but why do you think the connotation around hunting is not what you just said, i.e., to repeat, it's not all about the kill? In fact, the perception of hunting is the opposite, that it is all about the kill. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, that that's something that's something that you know hunters really need to reflect on uh, nationwide, worldwide. We we really need to spend some time reflecting on that exact question because I I think that's a problem. I, I think that's a a considerable you know uh, 
setback and it, and it allows anti-hunters to people or or potentially non-hunters that you know currently don't have an opinion that allows the negative side of of this sport to to have ammunition to use against the the positive and the in the active hunters um why is it focused on the kill mm-hmm. um, well i'll tell you this this may surprise you it may not surprise you but what you just said about us hunters should be able to rationalize more about why they hunt. Yes. We've heard from many sectors of the hunting community that we don't have to do that. Mm. We've heard that if, you, if you're in that space, and we've been accused of it as well, you know, getting in touch with this emotional side of hunting, you're just being a snowflake. Mm. That that's a that's a, a real shame, you know. And and we you and I touched on this just in conversation yesterday. You know, hunters really are some of their their own worst enemies. Oh, you know, no doubt. Hunters as a community, we we allow ourselves to find so much division in and amongst ourselves. You know, high fence versus low fence, mm-hmm. archery versus rifle. You know, just all the different controversial feed baiting feed and baiting versus no feed and baiting there's some states like texas where there are no restrictions on baiting you can use any kind of food source or scent or anything you want to bait the game in that you're pursuing where there are other states in the u.s that allow no baiting whatsoever you Mm -hmm. cannot put out any kind of feed or attractant or anything you know and and people get into these massive arguments about oh you're not really hunting because you're hunting over bait oh well you know you're not really hunting without bait because you're hunting over a you know 500 acre cornfield you know that's essentially bait so the it, it boils down to the question of why why do hunters want to fight amongst one another you know it's perfectly okay to discuss it's perfectly okay to have varying opinions but when it comes down to there's certain organizations out there hunting based organizations that fight against one another exactly you know and and they spend money lobbying against one another at the you know at the state level and the in the fishing game departments in in each state i mean i'm i'm not going to drop names but i can think of a couple here in texas that fight fight with each other you know on a regular at Mm -hmm. a at a state congressional level Mm mm-hmm and it's just really disheartening because, you know, we we already know that the people that would prefer to ban hunting, they're just sitting back and watching that turmoil. Oh, they're, 100%. They're, they're watching us divide ourselves, and, yeah. and that only hurts the future of this sport. So for those out there that are saying, oh, we don't need to be worried about that, we don't need to be worried about defending our integrity defending our sport defending the morality of it i i would i would say you are wrong mm-hmm. no and i and it's a funny i had a podcast guy i had a podcast with a guy called danny christensen and one of the posts we made was uh, it was I, i'm gonna mis mischaracterize what he said but sort of capture the essence it was like hunters put down your guns and pick up your vocabulary oh <laughs> about what it means to hunt and so that you can have that conversation with the person you in- engage with at the supermarket. Absolutely. That you can tell your your kids and they can then engage their, you know, you know, in the, in the teenage social media world of the sort of bullying, being able to arm your your sons and your daughters with information about why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. That's critical. 
Yeah. It's almost like a, a foot stomp. Like, no, this is why. Did you know X? Did you know Y? Did you know the conservation benefits? Did you know that that's all we eat is meat in our house? Sure. Yeah, and that's extremely important. I mean, there's there's so many. Again, there's so there's many. A nice little buck right there. Yeah. It's a beautiful oak flat that we're driving through. Yeah. Right so now. this is Holy that. Holy smokes! This is that area that we were talking about last night around the campfire. Uh, where it rolls through the oaks, we're we're riding. Uh, you know, this this particular ranch is in this coastal South Texas sand. So yeah. we're in. You know, we're it's in almost like sand dunes. That's right. That we have these. That's these, what. That's exactly what these, these oak are. Oakmont forests built on them. These are sand dunes, and and we're riding through an oak forest that has grown up on on these sand dunes. It's amazing. Probably ancient freaking oaks. Sure. Not, you know, tiny oaks that look very very small, but probably four hundred years old, sure. five hundred years old, easy. You had a good acorn moss crop this year? Yeah, very heavy uh, precipitation year in South Texas. So in these areas that do have the oak forest, um, lots of acorn droppage this year. And the whitetails along with the Neil guy. And, and There's what, a Neil guy. Neil guy just dropped. Just go over, the, go over the next rise. I saw him drop over to the left. Okay. Yeah, a lot of these species are coming into the oak moths and they're they're feeding on all of these acorns. It's all. It's making it a challenge to hunt, as you know. Many, many whitetail hunters know that acorns always make it a challenge. Yeah. No, it's a, a certainly unique, very, very unique habitat, especially in Texas, but definitely in the U.S. Once they see or sense danger, they take off running and they never stop. Yeah, that thing was running. From the right to the left, right about here. Oh, oh, oh! Good thing it's washer fluid low, not fuel low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, I you know one of the things that we talk about the most. We talked about it also is the idea of, and you brought it up earlier. The hunting community has enough problems outside of its borders. You know, fighting us, fighting whoever's against us to take the the lifestyle away. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole privilege versus right argument. Um, I think it's a privilege just because of where I came from and what I get to experience here in America. Um, but yeah, we have so much fighting inside of our... That's one of those blonde white tails oh, we're speaking at that. about. Oh my gosh. It's not albino. That's correct. It, so it's it's blonde. It is blonde. Uh leucistic. I think would be the technical term for that. A recessive allele that turns the hair color blonde. There's a buck on And there's a buck. So it, we're looking at a leucistic doe, a blonde white-tailed doe. Here comes reverse, reverse, reverse. And then a, a regular colored coat white-tailed buck in full rut that is following that doe. Holy smokes, she is blonde. Go back a little bit more. We'll probably get a better picture. A little bit more. Man, 
That is crazy. Terrible camera. Terrible picture. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see if you can slip up and get a better photo? Mm, no. No. That's cool just to see. Yeah, so we have a we had a pretty sizable buck in that one pasture that we were riding around in. That's what Garrett and I were talking about. Right. It looks identical. You know, blonde really light beautiful blonde color like that but but a sizable whitetail buck probably you know 160 there's a water bottle let me grab that water that trash right 160 there. inch of your mirror with your binos looking through the mir- through the mirror with your binos yeah which mirror this one yeah so i can sit right here like for example see that buck back there i can <laughs> look in my mirror and look at him perfectly just like if i was turned around backwards what yeah i don't know if it does it work in that mirror can't get the focus how do you get the focus so I'm, I'm not sure if it'll work in that mirror because that's one of those see how it says objects in mirror are closer than they appear yeah these the, the i guess the convex on the glass is different i can see it it's just i can't get a focus okay so here just just for learned walk over here and, and sit in here for just a second So you're one of the connections that we're here to, that we filmed already. Your wife happens to be another connection. That's right. So your wife, non-hunter, now a hunter. Uh, originally, very much so a non-hunter, not not an anti-hunter, but but just a non-hunter, just someone that was not exposed to it in her childhood, was not exposed to it in her youth. And just had no interest. Didn't have the knowledge. And then she met this devilishly handsome <laughs> South Texan. I saw a couple of photographs of you yesterday without without a without a beard. You're a completely <laughs> different looking individual without oh, a beard. Yeah, yeah, grow grow the beard in every every hunting season. There I, we go. Always I call it my winter plumage. That's it. You know, the biggest thing for me, my 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 uh argument when when everybody asks why why do you only grow the beard during hunting season well it keeps my face warm on those cold boat rides you know out fishing in the winter or out to the duck blind and then also when i throw on face paint for the duck blind i don't have to paint my face so much i only have to paint just under my cheeks and then (laughs) it's easy to clean off and get back to the next task right right um so she is now a hunter but she's even (laughs) I guess she's just jumped two feet into it, right? Yeah, she she did not hesitate. And so she runs a little she runs the taxidermy side of Feathers and Sheds Unlimited. That's right. So so yeah, so Feathers and Sheds owns a taxidermy studio as well. I've been doing taxidermy work myself for man, for a long time. Ever since I, you know, first graduated high school I, I got into the art of taxidermy just as a as a as a side gig. It, I just I enjoy the art behind it, you know, making making the trophy animal or the or the trophy you know the trophy reproduction look as beautiful as it possibly can i think we kind of owe it as as Mm -hmm. hunters you know to show due respect to those animals no matter no matter what you know what type of taxidermy work you have done whether it's a european mount or a shoulder mount or a or a full body life size or a beautiful rug um you know if if you choose to have some kind of you know trophy reproduction of your animal uh, it, i i think it's just it's just incredibly 
beautiful and important for us to show respect to the animal by by you know making high quality artwork with the taxidermy so a woman that went from being a non-hunter don't want to see the side of blood or dead animals or whatnot to now she's freaking power washing brains out of skulls <laughs> what the hell dude like your your pull over her must be intoxicating man i i I think that just goes to show the the power of the of the emotion that you that we experience in this you know this sport called hunting Mm -hmm. i mean you know once once she was properly educated like like blood origins is trying to do once the message was conveyed to her i mean because she loves to eat the meat yeah uh you know she she loves the meat she loves the idea that the animal is the animal is harvested the animal is killed but then, you know, things happen with that. Resources come out of that. Right. You know, it's not just a meaningless, you know, slaughter of, a, of, a, of an animal's life. You know, there's, there's the time put into the planning and the preparation and, the, you know, the challenge of the hunt. There's the, the challenge and skill of, of the shot, you know, by, or whatever weapon you're using, you know, takes a lot of practice and skill, you know, to, be, to make an ethical kill. And then there's the excitement and the emotion and the adrenaline, uh, you know, that, that happens after the harvest. And then, you know, you get the meat. There's the, the processing of the meat and the different ways to prepare it, the different recipes. And then, uh, as we're talking now, the, the taxidermy, you know, the, mm-hmm. the reproduction of the trophy. So she learned quickly that, man, there, there is a lot of good emotion uh, that is involved in this thing called hunting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And she's fallen in love with it herself. And, and now, yeah, like you said, she, she runs our taxidermy studio <laughs> and is a full-time avid taxidermist. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, we look forward to talking to her a little later um, and filming her a little later as well. Well, Josh, I appreciate it. I appreciate your hospitality down here in South Texas. Absolutely. Um, we, we've had a great phenomenal. time. Till the next time, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.